Hello. Hello. to Three Stooges Throwback, the comprehensive, encyclopedic compendium of all things Three Stooges. From woman haters to sappy bullfighters, from Curly to Shemp, and even to Joe. I am your host, Gabriel Russo, and I'm looking at all 190 shorts produced for Columbia Pictures by the Three Stooges comedy team. Hello and welcome back once again to the Three Stooges Throwback podcast. I am still your host, Gabriel Russo, and we are still going over the 190 shorts produced for Columbia Pictures by the comedy team, The Three Stooges. This is episode 48, covering the episode, How High is Up? First things first, I use Wikipedia, IMDB, and threestooges.net. I have also incorporated both onthisday.com and takemeback.to for historical bits as well as a site called obscureactress.wordpress.com. I use that from time to time. I use all those to find the information for these episodes, and I watch them usually on The Three Stooges, all one word, account on YouTube. Uh, that's in. They're all in 1080p, and they look better than they did when they were first released. I've read almost every book on the boys, and I use my own brain to formulate the opinions on these shorts while also regurgitating the opinions of others. But I am not an expert on the Three Stooges. I am just a knowledgeable fan. I make mistakes. I leave things out. But it will be okay. I will probably repeat myself 190 times before this is over. With that said, let's get on with the show. This episode, just so you know, in case it sounds different, is being recorded at the pool on Labor Day. So, it's the pool era. Outdoor. How High has a running time of just under 18 minutes. It was shot over five days from May the 7th to the 11th, 1940, and was released on Friday, July 26th, 1940. So, two months between shooting and release. It's time to look at what else was going on in the world on Friday, July 26, 1940. In the first of five films together, Rita Hayworth and Glenn Ford, The Lady in Question is a comedy drama romance. I guess they were covering all the bases. It was directed by a guy named Charles Vidor, who was not related to the famous silent director King Vidor. So stop spreading that rumor. Pride and Prejudice was also out. This was with Laurence Olivier and Greer Garson. This is the first filmed adaptation of the Jane Austen novel. Searching for other shorts that were out at the time has proven to be almost impossible, so we are going to forget that segment. But on July 20th of this year, Billboard publishes their very first top 10 list. Number one is I'll Never Smile Again by the Tommy Dorsey Orchestra with vocals by Frank Sinatra. July 27th is the debut of Bugs Bunny in Wild Hair by Tex Avery for Looney Tunes cartoons. There were no changes in the boxing or wrestling champs. We've got Ray, Ray Steele and Joe Lewis, respectively. Well, re reverse those. This short was produced by Del Lord and Hugh McCollum. It was directed by Del Lord, with story and screenplay credits going to Elwood Ullman. Your stooges are Larry, Curly, and Moe. We have some new faces in this short, along with some familiar people. We have Bruce Bennett 
as the workman with the leaky pail. He was, origi he was originally named Herman Bricks, and he was a silver medalist in the shot put in the 1928 Olympics. He starred as Tarzan in a serial, The New Adventures of Tarzan, in 1935, and he became typecast. He was originally going to play Tarzan in the big budget, John, one that Johnny Weissmuller got, but uh, he injured his shoulder doing something else and uh, couldn't do it. So he did this B serial. He was typecast. He left movies and went to acting class. In 1938, he came back with a change name. He was Bruce Bennett. There's actually quite a lot of info on this guy. He was pretty interesting. He was in a few stooge shorts, so we'll get back to him in the future. Edmund Cobb is the foreman. He was in 620 films from 1912 to 1966. 620. He was in 64 silent serials. Not just films, but whole serials, which is more than any other actor. Uh, after sound, he got mostly bit parts. He was in two Stooges, one Joe Besser, and one Shemp Solo Short. Shemp Solo Short. We've got Vernon Dent as Mr. Blake. We are all familiar with Vernon Dent after listening to this show. We've got Marjorie Kane as a pedestrian. Five stooge shorts for her, 80 credits overall. It looks like she has nothing past 1959. She worked the stage for 11 years before movies and sometimes went by the name Babe Kane, which is like Curly. They called him Babe, too. We've got George Lloyd as a workman. He was in four Shemp, one Joe, and six with the boys. He's the kind of bald-headed guy. He retired in 1955, but then he got divorced and that ruined him financially. Um, he lived on the skids for the rest of his life and got a free... He was a staff sergeant in World War I and got a free burial. Sam Lufkin is a workman. 179 credits for him. He is described as grim-faced. That was really the only thing that was online about him, and that is pretty apt. We've got Charles Phillips, also as a workman. Oops. With 19 stooge shorts to his credit, several Joe Dorita and Joe Besser solo efforts, 43 credits altogether for him. We've got Cy Shindell once again as the supervisor. We've delved into his life plenty of times. Victor Travis again here. Not a whole lot on Mr. Travis or Travers. Remember, he went by both, if that is your real name. Duke York shows up here. He's also known as Duke Owl. He was in 160 films as an actor and a stuntman. He played a lot of the goon or monster characters in the Stooge shorts. Uh, like he was the Wolfman in one. He had an on-again, off-again romance with a woman named Catherine Mench. He was trying to get her back, and she refused. And he shot himself while he was on the phone with her. He was also known for playing King Kala in the first Flash Gordon serial. We open on a serene scene with the boys all sharing a bed, all snoring. Big fly starts to menace Curly. It flies in and out of his mouth. Uh, the camera pulls back and we see that the boys are sleeping on a mattress underneath the car. Uh, the car has all kinds of ads painted on it. They're the Minute Menders. They fix holes in everything, pots and pans, bridges, etc. So a street cleaner goes by spraying water. 
He goes to hook up to a fire hydrant and the hose snaps loose and the street floods. So the mattress is taken by the water and the boys float on down the street. It's a great little scene. Reminds me of the Bugs Bunny cartoon with the mad scientist where his hole floods and uh, he floats out on his mattress. Anyhow, they are almost hit by a truck. It wakes them up beeping, then a cop comes by and smacks them all with a club to get them up and out of the street. <laughs> uh, Mo tells the guys to get to work, tells Curly to patch that tire while he's eating a salami sandwich. Some salami falls out. Curly thinks it's a patch and uses that to patch the tire. They go to drum up some business. And while they're gone, a dog comes by and eats the salami, which the tire goes flat again. They come back, and uh, Mo says, Mo looks at it and says, I told you to fix that tire. Get busy. And Larry jumps in and says, yeah, get busy. And Mo looks at him, and Larry says, uh, I'm, I'm going to help him. It's a great line, and uh, it's a great little delivery. It's so funny. Curly Tank can't take his sweater off. Um, he says, since I put it on, I might have put on a little weight. It is a very tight sweater. Mo tries to help him. Larry, he tells Larry, get over here and help me skin him. They can't do it, so they, uh, they come up with the idea that they'll get a tire iron and some hammers, because that'll help get your sweater off you. And uh, there's a pretty good scene of them just mashing, just smacking Curly with the hammer and uh, using the tire irons. He says, don't mind me, as they're hitting him. And you can see just before the end of the scene, Larry is just laughing. He cracks up. They finally pull off the, uh, the sweater. It gets stuck around his neck, and they cut him loose with scissors. Um, finally he's free and we see them drive off down the street calling for business they come upon a bench with uh, a whole bunch of lunch boxes for some workmen they run over Larry grabs out grabs a board he opens a bag pulls out a board with a nail through it and starts smashing lunch boxes down on top of it putting holes in uh, all the lunch boxes and uh, Mo is keeping watch and some workers come up and uh, the boys start in on their sales pitch where they fix holes in anything. It's an amazing coincidence. You got all these holes in lunchboxes. Uh, we'll fix a hole for a nickel. And they say, we don't need that. And then they look at their pails and they're all leaking. Then they look over at Larry. They hear smashing and they look over and Larry's still smashing holes in lunchboxes. So they get chased away. They run to the Apex Construction Company. And they just run into the fence uh, where they are building a high rise in New York City. Foreman comes and asks for riveters, and the boys jump up. Curly says, we're the three best riveters that ever riveted. And they are hired for $1 an hour, 1940. Uh, 1940 construction, yeah, $1 an hour, that's crazy. He says, where do we start? The guy says, on the 97th floor, and they look up. Curly falls over, twitching, and they help him. They help him up, and off we go. So they stand on this girder. He tells them to get up there. He says they stand on this girder and hold on to that rope. And they are hoisted up to the 97th floor. There's no safety wires, no harnesses. And I don't mean for the short. I'll bet you that's how they did it in real life. Crazy back then. They get off the thing on the top of the building there. And they look down and it's, uh, I mean, super far, obviously. He's 97 floors. Curly says, when I look down, I get dizzy. And Larry says, well, don't look down. Curly says, I can't help it. I belong down there. So Moe's idea to save him from being scared is to blindfold him so he can't see how far he is. It's a brilliant, brilliant plan. Moe and Larry go one way and Curly blindly goes another way, obviously. Larry starts cooking sausages on the fire that's for the rivets and uh, gives one to Moe. He complains there's no mustard. Moe's complaining about everything. 
Larry looks up and the foreman is standing there watching him. And uh, he, he throws a rivet. Curly grabs it, but he thinks it's a sausage. So he's eating the rivet. Mo keeps looking at him whenever he hears crunching. So that's how they did it. One guy heats the rivet, tosses it. The other guy catches it in a, in a can, grabs it with tongs, sticks it in the hole, and then rivets it in with the drill thing. That's weird. I didn't know how it was done. Uh, although watching this, I, I probably still don't know how it's done. So um, Curly loses his part. you got to push on the other end while it's riveted in. So it flies away and it hits the foreman on the head. He goes to get his tool and comes back with it uh, strapped to his head like a helmet. They keep saying, bucker up. So that's what the... That's what that side of it was called, evidently. Bucker up. You're buckering. Curly knocks a can of grease down, and there's grease all over the girder now. The vibrations keep knocking him to the edge of the girder where he, he gets frustrated and comes all the way you know, back to it. It's like those old football games, those electronic football games where it vibrates and the little guys go everywhere. Keeps pushing Curly all the way to the edge, like I said, and then he almost falls and does that several times. And then finally it pushes him and we don't see it, but we hear him scream. And so he's fallen. But he's landed on the floor below in the fire for the rivets. We see the backdrop of the city that they're using. It's pretty good. Like they really are way up there. So Vernon Dent and Cy Shindell come through here. They're inspecting things. Vernon says, it all looks good. And he leans on a beam, which collapses immediately. They look up where the boys are working. And the beams are all over the place at these crazy angles. It's a great shot. Uh, Larry throws a hot rivet. Curly catches it in his bare hands, and they do this hot potato thing, passing it back and forth. When it falls into uh, Vernon Dent's shirt, he sends the, the guys up there to chase him. And Curly's had this contraption on him the whole time. I thought it was some sort of safety harness that he just hadn't hooked up. But turns out it's a parachute, and it's a great idea for working on tall buildings like that. So they jump, and the parachute works unbelievably. And they land safely in their own car parachute covers them up and they drive blindly down the street they can't see and as the screen goes black we hear a horrible crash the end that one had a lot of special effects i guess you could say uh being at the top of the building they ride the girder up and all that the shots looking straight down were cool uh they were all taken from the then newly built empire state building those are uh promotional shots the scene where they are trying to get the sweater off of Curly is generally thought of by fans and, I guess, stooge scholars, is that a thing? As one of the best examples of them using crazy tools to get a job done, you know, as a hammer and chisel to get someone's sweater off. <laughs> According to threestooges.net, most of the actors in this one had more than one role. They are in line at, at the employment office, they're up on the girders, they're in the, on the street as they're washing down the road on their mattress. Um, so yeah, like I mentioned, Larry laughs when they're trying to get the sweater off there. And uh, I guess the Don't Mind Me line has something to do with a man named Bernard Turpin. Bernard Turpin. He was a silent comedian. He was the one with the crazy crossed eyes. I think we've talked about him before. He had just passed a couple of weeks before, and that was some sort of an homage it's funny to think that someone had a catchphrase when they were in silent movies. So I don't know why Don't Mind Me would be. But evidently, and Larry thought it was funny and cracked up. So this one gets a 9.51 on threestooges.net. And I'm right in the ballpark with a 9. I'll give this one. thought this one was very clever. There's some pretty good sight gags, some nice wordplay. 
Good work, boys. <laughs> so that's going to do it for this episode. Join me once again for the next short, which is From Nurse to Worse. Click subscribe so you don't miss out. Please rate and review the show and drop me a line if you have any comments or suggestions or more book offers or bags of money that you just can't keep laying around. Whatever. Thanks for listening. I have been your chief knucklehead, Gabriel Russo, broadcasting from Stooge Studio, which is normally in the bathroom, but today has been poolside at Chateau Russo. See you next time. Bye.